Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is October 24th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Andrew Egger and Jim Swift of the Weekly Standard. Uh, guys, I don't want to make a joke about this, but make sure you check your mail. Oh my goodness. You've got you know, mail. I mean, this, this, this story this, this morning, I just, it's, if, if there's any indication of how ugly American politics have become. What what are we at as of this moment? George Soros has a bomb left at his mailbox. Uh, the Clintons have uh, you know have something left, and and Obama has been targeted. Well, I think Charlie, the the good news on the front of this is we we have learned from the the anthrax attacks of the early two thousands, and um, former presidents uh, are their mail is screened. Uh, the Secret mm-hmm. Service apparently got to Obama's before it got anywhere near him. I saw reports that you know it was sent to the Clintons' house. I, I have my doubts personally as to whether it made it there. Screening mail on site for former president, former presidential candidate, and secretary of state and U.S. senator seems to me, e- even if you have a nice lo- large estate, seems to be a foolhardy thing to do. Uh, there were reports that uh, one was sent to the White House. I don't know at, at this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and at, CNN uh, now 11:05 is, is true. Evacuated. But CNN yeah. is evacuated. Time Warner Building also got one too. And uh, you know, it kind of makes me think back to you know the days of the Unabomber. And mail and technology has gotten so uh, and screening has gotten so much better um, that you know, knock on wood, uh, as of this uh, recording, no one has died, and hopefully, no one will die. And uh, you know, I think that's a testament to preparedness and technology and you know of course to a degree fear um you know after we saw what happened at the heart senate office building and with the other mm-hmm. anthrax uh, attacks too well my my take on this and and it's of course quite quite early yet uh, but my take on this is could everybody hold off on their hot takes before we we decide uh, you know which political party is to blame for all of this i mean we obviously have learned absolutely nothing you know, from uh, the shooting down in Arizona, um, it is interesting. I mean, it was a year and a half ago that the that the majority leader of the House of Representatives and other Republican congressmen were shot on a baseball field, and we don't even talk about that much anymore. But we we don't know what the motivation is, and I know the temptation is overwhelming uh, to to make this into a, a a partisan talking point. But you know, is it too much to ask? take a deep breath and the answer is of course it's too much to ask well you know i mean (laughs) making bombs and mailing bombs to people i mean you think back to the unabomber with theodore kaczynski this is not like usually the act of like some deranged partisan you know like the the guy who i mean nearly anyone who doesn't have a criminal background can go out and get a gun and and commit a crime if they want or you know rent a car and hit people or, or or do other sorts of things but like the 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 ability to make and try and passably send bombs is usually not something that is like uh, the act of someone who is um you know motivated by like uh, the 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 you know passing impulses and anger of of the times um it, it, they very well could be but i'm just saying that you know this this to me suggests that that's not very likely and obviously the the rejoinder to to all of what we're saying right here you know one one could very reasonably respond well you know of course you guys are saying this now for this attack this is the one that makes mm-hmm. republicans look bad you know like where where was this rhetoric uh, a year ago you know when when republicans were jumping down democrats throats after the oh, the see, shooting I, like I you always say this no I yeah no no i i think it's good and i think that i i think that you know there there, there are two kinds of response that that you can 
uh, that you can take an issue like a potential tragedy. Thank God, not not a not really a genuine tragedy since it doesn't seem anyone was was hurt, but definitely a scare like this. Um, and and you know, as a partisan, you can respond to that by uh, by 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 ramping up the the the, the divisiveness, the, the the attacks by saying, "Look how bad your side is," and then you know the next time the. Uh, the, the next time the shoe's on the other foot, the other guys get to say, "Well, look how bad your side is. Look how look how evil and and uh, ruthless the people on, uh, on on your side of the political power spectrum are." Um, or you can try, and it's, it's difficult to try, but you can try to see uh, these things on both sides as what they are, which is symptomatic of the no, the sides. increasing. Yeah, both rancor. Sides. Just, just the, 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 the anger between both sides, and 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 use it as you know, just a, an opportunity to sort of police your own rhetoric, your own. Uh, which, which I will throw out. Read Matt Labash's Ask Matt Labash today about oh, this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to go down that road. But uh, well, he's earmarked he that we're, we're not in a civil war. Yeah. And I'd have him on, but Matt refuses to do podcasts because they, <laughs> okay, they that, steal that, his soul. True. Yeah. Okay. Can't so look in you, uh, Jim, you, you had a tweet a little while ago, about two hours ago, um, creating the term D'Souza-ing. I don't know whether this was in relationship to all of this. It's uh, somebody who had tweeted my my hot take, the whole quote, remember when your political party did, and then fill in the blank, this bad thing, 150 years ago, and fill in the blank, this bad person was a member of your party 50 years ago, is not a good strategy. Yeah, that kind of a, just an er, evergreen D'Souza-ing. Well, D'Souza-ing, yeah, it's 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 a degree, it's a it's a variant of whataboutism. And you know, you saw this a little bit over the weekend where um, you saw people comparing like Civil War era politicians and 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 parties and all this stuff. And like it's it's rich to me. I mean, I'm I'm only 35, but like you know, for 20 something hot take. Politico uh, shooting stars who will probably be burned out of this industry in the next, well, hopefully as soon as possible, but maybe <laughs> two to three years. But you know, to 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 see these these folks uh, just loving to just like, embrace the Dinesh D'Souza whataboutism of the past, um, without embracing uh, or responding. Uh, to any of the present, uh, it, it's I mean it's it's almost man in the high castle ask that like they're they're just playing like time travel games to the past and we're like well geez did you know I mean it it's all it's a great show um, I know I know Pod Horitz hates it but I I think he's wrong but it's it's well, you, it, you can't think about it too much that's that's the thing is you no it's that no it's it's, it's the world it's the world building that they do I mean they've they've clearly right. already sort of departed from the plot from the book but that that's where these <laughs> these D'Souza ing types are doing is that like they they refuse to live in the present they just want to try time travel to the past uh, to 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 score cheap political points and it's it's amazing to me that a lot of these people uh, still have uh, an audience uh, yeah. as thoughtless as no, they I, are. I, I really feel that the country is is having kind of a nervous breakdown at the moment. <laughs> I was on uh, I was on a show yesterday where they were talking about uh, Donald Trump's use of uh, explicit uh, embrace of the word nationalist um, and 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 what it meant and the dog whistles it was sending and 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 my reaction was I'm really not that surprised by it. I mean we kind of know where Donald Trump has been going. The whole America first thing was sort of a tip off, right? I mean. Um, whether he knows what the historical resonance of that is or you know is not, it's 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 Donald Trump. We should talk about what you know Trumpian nationalism means. But there were folks who were out there saying, no, this is an explicit embrace of white nationalism, of white supremacy. And I said at one point, you know, the word nationalism means a lot of different things. 
which it does, by the way. Look up the phrase Jewish nationalism. Look up the phrase left-wing nationalism. There's all sorts of, you know, <laughs> meanings to the word. And yet, of course, on Twitter, I got dragged for that because we, we have to see every word in the worst possible context. The other thing that, that's happening, and I want to get your take on this, uh, Andrew, the, the, the realization seems to be settling in and I think this was Jonathan Lemire who wrote this, that the question is no longer how big the blue wave will be. It's whether there will be a blue wave at all. And there's a little bit of a, I think, a flashback to 2016 where the narrative has just assumed the Democrats were going to win the House of Representatives. Now, I think it's becoming increasingly obvious that the Republicans are going to uh, hold the Senate, if not increase their majority. And I guess the question is, how big a question mark ought there be over the question of Democrats taking the House? Yeah, real quick before I respond to that, I wanted yeah. to go back to, to a thing you said a minute ago about, about it being a sort of a nervous breakdown culturally. And yeah. I think that that's uh, accurate in, in perhaps even more ways than, than you meant, because the mm-hmm. what, what we're sort of seeing, at least in, in my opinion, is is it, it's sort of like a breakdown of the nervous system of the culture that that that, that, mm-hmm. that we're seeing, where, where each of these, where we, we cannot... Uh, properly synthesize the like raw data that we're getting from each of these individual uh, stories, each of these individual news bits. Uh, what what happens is, you know, a story like the bombings we were talking about or a story about, you know, any any particular little controversy uh, gets picked up and then we have to figure out sort of how to fit it into our, our cultural narratives and increasingly right. it's everybody's impulse to to weaponize every little thing as as much as is possible and you know it, it becomes a thing where we get this extremely warped picture of what the country is what 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 our society looks like right now just because of that anyway that was just a little you aside know, every, every you're right everything has to be has to be you know transmuted into our into our narrative we have to you know shove everything into the narrative of our tribe and as that becomes more heated, the it becomes a little bit more e- extreme. Yeah. So let's go back to the yeah, uh, yeah, d- definitely the, the blue. I, I see uh, David Byler at the uh, Weekly Standard, the uh, the author of the Swing Seat Model, basically says the major quantitative models suggest that the race for the House should be rated uh, as at least likely Democratic, which essentially indicates the Democrats have a solid advantage, but. A Republican upset is still definitely on the table. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I think that we we should resist the urge to get carried away um, by just tracking the change in this thing. Uh, you know, it's just because Republicans have closed the gap doesn't mean that you know suddenly we're in the midst of a red wave. Although it's it, it's easy to you know see that as 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 a possibility just because uh, their chances have apparently gotten qu- quite a bit better in recent months. I do still think that uh, you know. Uh, According to Byler's model, according to other models, um, the the Democrats have about as good of a chance of retaking the House as Republicans have of hanging on to the Senate. Um, I think that obviously that's the most yeah. likely scenario, um, which you know isn't isn't awful for for Republicans. It wouldn't it wouldn't you know it, the the things that Trump has managed to get through Congress already uh, aren't aren't going anywhere at least in this next Congress if that's the way uh, if that's the way it shakes out. Which is why I think that. Um, 
a, a lot of Republicans want to make this narrative so much about things like impeachment of Trump, about things like you know Democrats uh, improperly wielding uh, sort of investigative power in the House because these are House centric issues. Things like impeachment, things like uh, mm-hmm. Democrats opening up a bunch of investigations into you know the Trump organization and uh, get making Trump release his tax returns. Uh, just the, a lot of those sort of like highly personal. Uh, investigations into Trump and Trump's business connections. Um, the reason why that's becoming a, a, a talking point, especially on on uh, on the Republican side, is because these are House-centric issues. Right. And it's true that, you know, if if Democrats retake the House, they're going to make things difficult for Trump personally uh, in a lot of those ways. So legislatively, not as much of an issue for, for Republicans, but that, I think that's where the danger is. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, Henry Waxman is uh, basically warning his fellow Democrats, uh, don't don't be too overzealous. Don't go over the top. Uh, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> you have to be. But of course, they won't be able to help. So I, I'm sitting here in Wisconsin and Donald Trump is coming here to Wisconsin today. And the poll, the new poll out, uh, I think it was the Ipsos poll showing basically a statistical dead heat between Scott Walker and his uh, Democratic challenger, Tony Evers. I think Evers is up by three. Uh, blowout, uh, double digit for Democrat Tammy Baldwin, which is an odd result in a state that is so partisan. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing from from Republicans is they think that if the turnout model this year is similar to the turnout model in midterms, for example, 2010, 2014, they think that Walker will still win. But what they don't know, and it's the big question everywhere, is will there be a Democratic surge? So here in Wisconsin, we've kind of maxed out on the Republican turnout models for midterm elections. You have some of these Republican suburbs where I think the turnout is uh, is in the upper 80 percent. I mean, that's pretty much everybody turns out. Mm-hmm. The question is whether or not the, these these non-regular voters or these unlikely voters will turn out. And, of course, that's why Barack Obama is coming here tomorrow and will be speaking in Milwaukee's central city because the big question, again, is will the African-American voters who sat home and did not vote for Hillary Clinton – Will they come out and vote for a somewhat lackluster elderly white guy running for governor? Who knows? Yeah. So, so here's here's my hunch on this, and and you know you obviously know Wisconsin a lot better than I do. So so let me know what you think about this. Uh, I I do think that you know. It, on a nationwide scale, this midterm election is not going to look a lot like midterm elections in the past. You know, it's 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 not going to suffer uh, th- this election just in terms of raw turnout. Not going to suffer from the same usual uh, enormous dip where a lot of people who sort of come alive during presidential races, uh, you know, stay at home during the midterms because it's seen as a lower stakes or or they're not paying as much attention or what have you. I do think that you know the the sort of political nerves all over the place are are, are ragged enough that that people see this election as just as important as as a presidential election in a lot of ways but what I wonder about Wisconsin is um, it, it seems like you know more so than many other states Wisconsin was already in a place where it had had a lot of like high stakes um, local issue races just with I mean specifically around Scott Walker because he was such a controversial figure where you know he had the the, the recall and all this stuff with the unions and 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 so I, I wonder whether there's less of a democratic bump there just compared to previous elections than than we might see in other states. But as, as you say, because uh, it's the African-American vote that, that is 
you know, so so in question. I wonder whether you know that's a place where you know previously Scott Walker's recall election and things. It was more like white working class Democrats who were trying to get him uh, booted, and 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 the African American vote was was not so much there. I I don't know. What 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 do you think about that? No, we don't know. I mean, that, this is this is the big question. Um, and I think you know nationally we're seeing that that you know despite all the talk about the Hispanic vote and the youth vote that uh, you're probably not going to be much of a of a bump. Uh, it's very 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 hard to, to, to tell how it's going to play out. The air wars here are very interesting and the way in which healthcare is absolutely the centerpiece. And of course, the Democrats are just pounding away uh, on the issue of, of, of removing protections for pre-existing conditions. I mean, you turn on the news for 15 minutes and you will get uh, three or four ads on it. Um, yeah, as, as well they should, right? I mean, it's it's a really, really, really useful, you know, uh, attack. I mean, it's people care. so. And you can see that the Republicans think that it's useful because Walker is also answering back. He's got a bunch of ads um, on specifically defending himself on the issue of pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, including one where he's looking into the camera, which does suggest that that they're a little bit on the defensive here. But, you know, candidates do matter. And, and, and Tony Evers, who is the Democrat here, we won't spend any more time in Wisconsin, is just such a lackluster candidate. He is just so uninspiring. It's almost as if you uh, did the opposite of going to central casting and finding somebody. <laughs> this guy is bland. He is weak. He comes off. Uh, he, he, he portrays himself very, very poorly on television. It may not matter. I want to distress that. Because this election is going to be, you know, on one level, a referendum on Donald Trump. But in Wisconsin, it's always a referendum on Scott Walker. Um, Before we get to, and Andrew, you had a piece about how uh, lying Ted became beautiful Ted. And I want to talk about that also, (laughs) uh, where we're at on Saudi Arabia and and the caravan and all of those things. Uh, But this is a good time to mention that that uh, the Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Audible. Because what would it like if we all listened more? Listening to audiobooks motivates us, inspires us, even brings us closer together. There's no better place to listen than Audible because now Audible members get even more exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, Audible originals, and more. They have the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. Interesting. I went for a long walk yesterday and I was listening. Uh, to the book, uh, the the Apprentice. Uh, it is just a great way if you are driving or you're commuting or you're walking. Um, and every month, Audible members get one credit, good for any audiobook they choose, plus two Audible originals from a changing selection you can't get anywhere else. You also get access to these audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. So if you don't like your audiobook, you can exchange it, no questions asked. So today, start a 30-day trial and get your first audiobook free. Go to audible.com slash standard or text standard to 500-500. That's 500-500. And you can do that with audiobooks. That's audible.com slash standard or text standard, the word standard, to 500-500 to get started ridiculously easy. Yeah, audiobooks don't rot your brain like podcasts do. So uh highly well, so recommend that's, it. Th- that's the thing. I, I do I do both. I go back and forth. I listen to uh to podcasts. The question is how long? So if I'm gonna go for an hour and a half walk, um I'm gonna listen to an audiobook. If I have a twenty minute drive, I'm gonna listen to a podcast or twenty to forty minute walk. So 
Um, you know, this is this is the new world that we live in. And, you know, I'm an old radio guy and I I just, you know, it, the the on demand listening to what you want to listen to when you want to listen to it. Um, th- that's the existential threat for turning on radio. I mean, if you don't need to listen to the to, uh, you know, traffic and weather because you can get traffic and weather elsewhere, it's it, elsewhere. It's going to be tough. OK, so let's talk about the politics of the caravan. Uh, Jim Swift, uh, I've said uh, several times on this podcast that this is exactly the script that Donald Trump wants right now, that if he was the executive producer of this show, you would have this 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 caravan. Um, but so tell me how it's playing out. Uh, yesterday, he had to admit that, yeah, he'd, he'd thrown out the idea. Charlie, you're cutting out. Absolutely no proof of that. Charlie, no can, Charlie, that can you can you re- Charlie, but, can but you restart that? Okay, where do I start? Um, uh, just just from the beginning about the idea of the caravan, because you cut out and then it okay. sped up. Okay. So, okay, all right. So let's, uh, Jim Swift. Let's talk about the caravan, the politics of the caravan. And I've mentioned that uh, this is a perfect talking point for Donald Trump. That he was the executive producer of this show. This would be what he would be talking about. Um, but yesterday he had to admit that, uh, you know, despite saying that there were Middle Easterners who were embedded in all of this, that he had no proof of that. There's no evidence of that. So give me some sense, Jim, how this is playing out. Uh, you know, I, I've been – I mean, granted, I've, I've been on quasi-vacation, but uh, watching Fox News and, and CNN and, and other sorts of things while I was on travel and back in the, in the real America in St. Louis. And, um, you know, I, I, I saw a number of segments where – uh, it was kind of fun to watch people who clearly haven't dedicated a lot of thought to the motivations of, of, of immigrants, uh, talking about Hondurans and uh, you know other folks from South America and why they would come and fleeing violence. What's violence? I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? There's violence down there. This, like, what what could ever motivate these thousands of people to it to, to leave these places to come to the United States? I mean, of course. You know, I mean, the the, the Republican talking point of uh, is commonly accepted is who wouldn't want to come to America? It's the greatest country in the world, right? Yeah, um, but uh, violence, geez, who would have thought? And so it was kind of fun to watch. You know, Geraldo Rivera and other sorts of hosts talk about this with like Sean Hannity and other folks. Like, what are you going to do when they get there? Are you going to shoot them at the border? I mean, it's it was just like in real time. Um, as someone who is, you know, dedicated a lot of thought to immigration, when I um, when I worked for a border state senator, um, and and changed my views a lot. Um, I mean, I'm still very pro border enforcement, and I I you know, I'm a I'm a fan of enforcing the law and sending the those who need to go back back. Um, but it was interesting to just see. Uh, how this has been used is sort of a, uh, a Maxwell Silverhammer sort of thing, <laughs> but it was also interesting to see how it just really freaked out a lot of people um, on, uh, you know, going full yeah. conspiracy, full bore conspiracy. Like this is George Soros. George Soros is doing this. Well, I know, which is which is ridiculous. But you know, David Frum, I thought had a very interesting point. He's um, an immigrant and, himself. About, uh, about the the difficulties the Democrats have had really talking about this, uh, and he's, he, he he tweeted this out yesterday. He said, "Look, if liberals insist that enforcing the borders is a job that only fascists will do, then voters will hire fascists to do the job that liberals won't." And he write, writes about this, you know, about he wrote a piece in the in the Atlantic about it, and it. it 
it is interesting that the, the Democrats are having some difficulty in framing their response. I mean, I, they won't listen to my advice on all of this, but I do think that they need to say, look, uh, f- number one, um, this is a nation of borders. Barack Obama, by the way, says this is a nation of borders. You know, we're not go- we are not going to let them in and then pivot to say, but there are humane ways of handling this. We're not going to be separating parents from their children. And then also then saying, you know, let's act like we've been here before. This is the United States of America, 7,000 women. Women and children, you know, coming north, you know, a thousand miles north is not a national emergency. And then go into whatever the national emergency is, because it is, in fact, the ludicrous part is to think that this caravan actually does pose a significant threat to national security. Um, but I don't know that they have figured this out. In some ways, it is it's fascinating to me to watch how they kind of fall into Trump's trap here, because he says they are for open borders, and then they fail to refute that. Andrew, do you have a different take on that? uh, I mean, I I do think I would perhaps push back on a little of that. The one thing I'd say where where I think I'm I'm largely agreeing with you is that, um, you know, human beings respond to pressures, right? I mean, like it, it, exactly like what you're saying with from that's, that's totally true. Uh, you know, if, if, if people who care about border security despair of ever hearing anything reasonable about that from the left or what they perceive as sort of the squishy rhino, right, then they will continue to go further and further right in their pursuit of someone who will, uh, help them with this issue. And I, we totally saw that in the 2016 election, which is that, D- uh, Donald Trump's core group from the very beginning was people for whom border security was the A number one priority uh, in this election. Um, and I, I think that's also true of, you know, people, uh, the, the, the migrants themselves, right? I mean, it's part of the reason why uh, these flashpoint issues have have become not just people sort of sneaking across the southern border uh, in ones and twos and fives and sixes, but these, these big sort of high profile, uh, high coverage caravan type things is because these people rightly perceive uh, that, that they're there is a sizable, sizable, sizable contingent of people in America who, uh, whose reflexive default stance now is always to side with the migrant, always to side with right. you know the person uh, trying to enter illegally. You know, pretty much regardless, and they know that you know they will be cast as sort of the protagonists in this drama, with Trump being the antagonist. The other thing that I would so, so I mean, obviously that's that's a, a social ill yeah. on our part that we you know we we it's 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 in, it's insane that people. You should should think that this is the best way to sort of accomplish this goal just by saying here we come you know like uh, and, and you better not try to stop us you big mean fascist um, but but the, the the other thing um, the other thing that I would say which is you know sort of uh, a corollary to, to this is that you know this is the reason one of the the, the the very important reasons why this issue is such a winner for Trump and it's it's similar to um, uh, to the discussion about nationalism that we were having before, which is that, you know, th- this is sort of a thing that plenty of well-meaning people can have sort of like nuanced opinions about, but that has become a, a strict sort of uh, ostracized worthy orthodoxy uh, among much of the sort of uh, quote unquote establishment left um, that, that, you know, thinking that there are, you know, 
broader cultural problems that accompany mass migration yeah. uh, that just p- perhaps need to be dealt with in one way or another. Uh, you know, it, th- when when Donald Trump says, you know, look at Europe, there's a problem with Europe. Uh, Europe has been seeing mass migration out of the Middle East for for a couple of decades now due to unrest there, and that's created problems for them. That's read as a dog whistle, right? And I mean, maybe yeah, he means it as a dog whistle. Right, right. And people go, well, I'm sorry, I am concerned about that. Yeah, no, right, right. Yeah. I mean, th- there are there are reasons. I mean, th- 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 these are not, you know, no negative situations, right? Like maybe the pros outweigh the cons, but you have to address the cons. You have to you have to look at the social pain that's felt by this mass displacement sort of situations and and try to talk reasonably about, you know, how we can address those situations. And if there is nobody who is willing to talk reasonably about it, then you're going to get someone who's just sort of spewing the the craziest, least balanced yeah. rhetoric possible on it and people are going to flock to that. Can I can hey, I throw out a th- w- w- welcome to 2018. Can I throw out a thought exercise here? You know, the 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 videotapes of the caravan marching that uh, have played prominently on every cable news channel and everything, I think gets everyone perhaps falsely, likely falsely thinking that this is going to be World War Z and that I mean, they're like a thousand <laughs> miles away. It takes a long time to walk a thousand miles. Yeah. I've never walked a thousand look, miles. Look I would walk. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, 500 do, miles. do the math, um, you know, that when they get here that like this caravan is just going to like march straight through the Sonoran <laughs> Desert, you know, r- you know, right into Yuma. Uh, they'll probably go to California because, you know, Arizona and Texas are a little bit more more difficult. But when when they get up here, it's not going to be like this massive caravan is just going to keep marching like lemmings, uh, you know, straight into the arms of law enforcement. I mean, this is going to be handled differently. And then the other point I have is a thought exercise. A lot of a lot of people rightly romanticize doing immigration the right way. Ellis Island. Everyone came in Ellis Island. Not to say that there wasn't any fraud at Ellis Island, but do you know how many immigrants a day Ellis Island dealt with? Like on average, it was like 5,000. They dealt with like a million people a year. So this is like three quarters. If there are 7,000 people in the caravan, you know, this is like a day and a half of, of Ellis Island. And uh, you know, you're asking people to do math. Math. Well, you know what? You know, we should, we should, we should, we should. Well, and I think we should want a system where people can come legally, and we, and if we, we should want five thousand people a day. There are not enough jobs in the United States right now. Uh, Now we're crossing over economics. I I know. I, I think that it's. I think it's totally, you know, reasonable to point out. All of the reasons why this particular story, this caravan, is not, should not be like keeping anybody up at night. Why you know why, why the actual impact on the lives of American citizens is absolutely negligible. Whether whatever happens to these seven thousand people, but I do see why this sort of ideologically is a flashpoint issue for people who care about border security because the oh, the, yeah. the issue of you know just a bunch of people who do not have legal status here who will not have legal status here yeah i mean what 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 they say what 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 they reasonably say is our country should have a policy of dealing with thousands of people openly flouting our immigration laws and coming over, right? I mean, like, we, we should have an adequate response to that. There should be something that we can do about that. And 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 the the rhetoric on on much of the left right now is they they want to come in, let them come in, right? I mean, yeah, and, and yeah, that's, that's 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 where I think they're belonging. Okay, you know, speaking of math and speaking of uh, of of hypotheticals, I mentioned to you, uh, you gentlemen. That uh, that I was online earlier this morning, and I was calculating how much of my uh, uh, how much I was going to save from the middle class tax cut that's going to be passed in the next uh, thirteen days, and, uh, <laughs> and I pretty much spent it. Uh, was was that an imprudent was that an imprudent move to yes? Actually, you might want to call your tax preparer. Yes. You're like calling me out on this. 
Sorry, Charlie. There's not going to be, well, why are we talking about a middle class tax cut in the next two weeks? The reason we are talking about a middle class tax cut in the next two weeks is because Trump and Republicans are not seeing the bump from uh, their actual tax, tax cuts that they already passed. They think that that is unfair. They think that they've done a good thing for people and that people should respond well to it. And it's sort of the, the Trumpian sort of shortest distance between two points kind of strategy is just to be like, well, if they didn't like that tax cut, let's try to give them another tax cut a day before the election. And I mean, you can see why strategically that's uh, that, that's useful. And we, we, we've talked a million times before about how you know you, nobody can hold a, 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 a narrative in their head for more than a week uh, in, yes, this, in these blasted political times, um, let alone sort of a relatively boring one, like you're getting maybe 3% more uh, money back in your paycheck. uh, And this, this happened a year ago, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely, I mean, it's everything in politics is completely sort of disingenuous and self-serving, but this doesn't even really pretend to be anything else, you know, a week, two weeks before the midterms. Here's something that I know that you've thought about as a hypothetical. Okay. Okay. I, I know you've thought about it. So you didn't, but what if you had won the $1.6 billion lottery? I was in Missouri, and I actually bought five tickets yesterday, or maybe it was the <laughs> so day before. I told you you thought about it. So how would you – so you and your wife talked about what would you – what were your plans? Uh, <laughs> uh, there's some work-related plans. Maybe I'll leave off the podcast. <laughs> um, I think we all know that. <laughs> Uh, one one idea I had was uh, I wanted I, when I, when before I got married my bachelor party was on top of a mountain in the Shenandoah Valley, and it was on this huge two hundred acre property that like basically was a sliver of a mountain. I would like to buy something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, want to buy a mountain? Well, I'll buy a sliver of a mountain, and not for mountaintop removal, but to breed wow, West Highland. Mountain. But to okay, breed Andrew, top that. To breed West Highland terriers and sell them to rich Washingtonians. Oh, well, you're going to put your money to work making to more money. Anything. Yeah, that's good. I just want to have kids. I want to be able to afford to have children. <laughs> you know, you don't need to have a billion dollars to have children. It's the technology works differently. No, yeah, I, I would settle for a lot less than a billion dollars. It's about a million. Yeah, no, a million would be fine. If, do you have a million okay, laying so, around, so Charlie? Jim, Jim wants to buy a mountain. And I'll put Andrew it to good work. Has this sweet, I just, I want to be a dad. Oh, but I also want to live on Jim's mountain. So, I'd let That's you live. I'd, I'd let you live on the mountain. I'd let anyone, anyone. Why can't, why can't we both win? Yeah. <laughs> this is the problem, Jim. Don't say anyone can live on your mountain. No, no. Anyone, anyone, <laughs> on, anyone on this podcast. And pretty soon can you'll live have caravans coming from a mile yeah. around. Yeah. So my, my, my favorite stories are the ones, the, the articles say. How not to have $1.6 billion ruin your life? You know, I just want to try. Yeah, right. I could do that. The problem is they've been given $1.6 billion to the wrong people. Okay. Uh, in, in, in the few minutes we have left, uh, Andrew, you had a great piece about uh, Ted Cruz and the, 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 the long and winding road that took Ted Cruz from being lying Ted to, I, you know, I, I said I wasn't going to say it, I, I, you know, but I can't help myself. Beautiful, Going from lying Ted Cruz to being reek. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that is the harsh people who hear that don't realize how incredibly harsh that is. But uh, so so tell me about your piece about uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, Well, the bottom line is just it's interesting that Ted Cruz and Donald Trump are friends because they really got after each other in 2016. I mean, it's not a it's not an extremely sort of 
uh, difficult point to make, but it is uh, an interesting thing to contemplate if you if you recollect. Well, there was a really interesting piece, and I, I don't 100% remember where it was, maybe Vanity Fair or something a, a week or so ago, basically just going into Ted Cruz's sort of really, really, really careful rhetoric around Donald Trump recently. He doesn't say a whole lot about him personally. He says a lot about his agenda. He says a lot about you know the things he's accomplished. I don't think that Ted Cruz is like over uh, the awful, awful, awful things that that Trump said about him and about his family during the 2016 campaign. I know I wouldn't be. Uh, those are the kind of things that sort of color your opinion of a person. Um, but but, you know, Donald Trump is is, as always, motivated by pure id. Um, you know, he he Ted Cruz was an opponent to be crushed in 2016 and now he's an ally to be upheld. So instead and he of has no regrets. You know, no, yeah. it worked out fine. Yeah, I mean, no Trump. Regret. Trump never has regrets. Trump does what he want, does what he needs to do to get where he wants, uh, and 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 people are you know okay with that who like him. But I, the, 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 it's just so bald is the thing. The, that, that's the thing that really sort of turns my stomach is you know. You, you, just the fact that he he smeared Cruz in all of these you know absolutely reprehensible ways. I don't I don't really like Ted Cruz myself. I'm not like I'm not like mm. offended on his behalf because he's like one of my favorite politicians. But just the things that Trump said to and about Cruz and his family, for not because he believed them, not because he thought that his uh, supporters would believe them, but just because they were damaging and because he knew that he was he was just trying to posture as the biggest sort of mightiest guy on that stage. And he knew he could get away with these things. And he did. Yeah, and he well, did. You know, and now he's right. And yeah. just just the the fact that he knows that people will follow him through thick and thin uh, and, and just sort of go wherever he says. He marshaled them away from Ted Cruz in 2016. He marshaled, He's marshaling them back toward Ted Cruz in 2018. And Cruz knows he needs those votes, so he's putting up with it. And it's just kind of gross. Okay, here's my brush with history. I'm actually looking at a picture now of me standing with Heidi Cruz. And we're talking about Donald Trump. The only time I ever talked with Donald Trump was when he called into my radio show. And the first thing I asked him was, hey, do you think maybe you should apologize for making fun of Ted Cruz's wife's looks? I mean, really? You know, and then he got into the, well, he started it first and the, the conversation. Went no, he didn't. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm a little torn between thinking that there are people who are better people than I am, who are more Christian than I am, um, that, that I, I wish I was a more forgiving person. But there are times when somebody has really fundamentally crossed the line. If they don't apologize, I just don't see. I mean, has anybody? Look, ever God doesn't forgive you if you don't repent. I mean, that's has, we're not yeah. that good. <laughs> I mean, has anyone said ever said anything really, really, really awful about you? Either one of you guys. Don't tell me what it is. I mean, just I mean personally, all really the all the time on Twitter.com. Okay. Now, my my hey, worst hey. personal failing is that I'm really, really bad about holding grudges. I'm trying to do okay, better. Well, well, yeah, see, that's I, I, I agree with you. And because there are certain lines, I mean, I can engage in a political debate, you know, all day long and it's just sort of I'll, I'll forget about it a week later. Oh, yeah, we disagreed about that. But then there are some times when people cross a line and even many, many years later, because I am older than you guys, I will hold that grudge. And it's so I, I try to imagine, you know, standing on a stage with that person who had never apologized, who had done all of these things and m maybe. There's a slim possibility that maybe Ted Cruz is a better man than me, mm. but I'm, I don't think it reads that way. You know, Charlie, that's, that, that's actually my shadow title at the Weekly Standard is Keeper of Grudges. I keep all of them in are a nice you, Excel spreadsheet. Irish? Yes. I'm English. 
Oh, okay. Because it's somebody I, I know a guy who says he suffers from Irish uh, Alzheimer's, which is he only remembers the grudges. <laughs> now I've offended like a whole ethnic group um, and, and and an entire population of people suffering. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>